I'm glad they did that salt and pepper song instead of uh, push it or let's talk, well, anyway. <laughs> oh, the places you'll go, oh, you'll go. Oh, the places God might take you. In this series, we're talking about the adventure of faith, how to have a full life in God, sometimes you've got to move out of the comfort zone. And so we are taking a look at these different phrases in Scripture where God goes to comfy seat, recliner-type Christians, and he says, I want you to move. I want you to go forward. And today we find ourselves in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus is talking to a bunch of religious leaders who are kind of haughty. And one of them says to Jesus, hey, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus is like, that's easy. First, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're in a restaurant, don't sit on the same side of the booth as your significant other, because that's just weird, okay? (laughs) And the religious muckety-muck is like, well, Jesus, about number two, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, we've talked at length here at Gateway about the Good Samaritan. We won't go into it today, but it's this ironic tale about a spiritual misfit who ends up being a lot more godly and compassionate than religious professionals. Jesus ends the story with this phrase, go and do likewise. Go and be neighborly. Go and show God's mercy to others. Now, what we're curious about today is not the who should we be neighborly to, because that's the point of the Good Samaritan. And we should be neighborly to anyone who has a need that we can meet. Instead, today, we want to focus on the how. How to be neighborly. The how is where all the adventure and fun in walking with God comes. And so we're going to find out how to do that in the passage right before Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 21. Let's jump into the text. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him into every town and place he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. Go, I'm sending you like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. And when you enter into a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, and they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. That's an interesting phrase there at the end. That Jesus was full of joy. Now, he's obviously a joyful man. He's a joyful God. But there are only three times in the Bible that it says that something made Jesus joyful. John chapter 11, he was joyful about the opportunity to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. Hebrews chapter 12, ironically, says that Jesus was joyful about going to the cross. And then here in Luke chapter 10, this is the only time we see Jesus partying because of something someone else did. And he's not the only one partying. Jesus sends out 72 followers and they come back excited. They're 
completely stoked about what just happened. They're high-fiving each other, and they're saying, did that just happen? Do we really get out of our comfort zones and feel the power of God working through us? And Jesus has a smile on his face, and he's laughing. He said, yeah, that did happen. Isn't it amazing how life can be when you take risks? Isn't it phenomenal when you just follow me out where I'm going? Isn't it the best when you get out of your comfort zone? Now, I'm sure Jesus was joyful with people every day, but Luke is the only gospel writer who records him getting joyful about some, something cool someone else did. Jesus is happy for them, and he's happy for the world. And today, Jesus is in this place with you, and he is beside himself with joy. Whenever you make the move to get outside of your comfort, to not play it safe anymore, to have to trust him and to help others. I once heard a speaker named John Ortberg say that the easy chair is the most dangerous piece of furniture in your house. You've got one, right? If you do, you probably didn't get it for its aesthetic value. You did it for how it feels. Easy chairs are comfortable And today we're talking about how the pursuit of comfort and safety is often what's interfering uh, with our adventure with God. And to illustrate this, I'm going to need a volunteer from the audience. And when I described this exercise, this demonstration to the Gateway staff, they're like, Ted, there's no way anyone's going to volunteer. They know not to trust you. Our our church does not trust you. But I was wondering if there is a brave soul who'd be willing to come up on stage with me for just a few minutes. You make it so easy for me in the front row. Come on up. Thank you. Tell, tell us your name. Uh, Clem Mendez. Clem. Clem, your name sounds like you were made for an easy chair. Thank, thank you. Have a, have a seat here, brother. Okay, thank you. Thanks, thanks for volunteering. It's not now, that easy. It's not that easy? Clem, um, you've got some boots on. I'm going to ask you to, to relax. and go, If you want to wear, do you want to wear the leopard slippers or are you going to keep, oh, okay. No. Um, so, so, Clem, your only job today is just to luxuriate, to demonstrate to these people what it's like to truly relax. So we've got the easy chair for you. And you want to re- recline in it a little bit? Uh, hey, Clem, you volunteered, so, <laughs> you know, work this. You're, well, with you, all the coffee I drank, I don't feel like taking it easy. <laughs> oh, he's fired up from coffee. Well, let's see what we can do to get Clem to relax. I've, you look a little parched, and so I've got some Pellegrino for you. And uh, there's some grapes and chocolates there if you want to relax a little bit. And, and Clem, I want to introduce you to someone. Up, coming up on the stage is, uh, is Pepper, who is a professional massage therapist. <laughs> so, I thought it would be easier than this. So do you, do you uh, give her permission to give you a little massage? Is that okay? Should he? All these people are wishing they had volunteered, Clem. Okay, so, so uh, Pepper has magic in her fingers, and she's going to just work on Clem here for a minute. Great. And uh, Pepper will be down front after the service uh, if you want to <laughs> get her business card. Okay, so uh, just take a look at, at Clem up here. You, you feeling comfortable? Uncomfortable. Comfortable. <laughs> okay, good, 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 good. Uh, maybe we even need a little mood music. Ah. <laughs> uh, Enya. It's Enya. Uh, Turn off Enya. That's brutal. Okay. As you look at Clem on stage, 
does he look like a man who's ready to spring into action? <laughs> like a man who is in a total and utter pursuit of God, that he is ruthlessly eliminating sin from his life. If God were to appear to Clem today and ask him to do something <laughs> really difficult, what would he probably say? He would say, don't take pepper away from me. <laughs> Think about your own life and your walk with the Lord. Have you been orienting your faith lately around what's safe? What's comfortable? What'll keep you from having to risk? Are you sort of locked into the easy chair uh, spiritually? Now you look there at uh, Clem and by looking at him, don't judge what kind of individual he might be. If left to his own devices though, he'd probably fall asleep by the end of the message today. (laughs) But he is totally relaxed, that's good. I'm sorry to interrupt you, uh, Clem, but uh, your Calgon moment's over. But but, uh, thank you for giving us a demonstration today. Thanks, Pepper. Today is is not about a guilt trip, Gateway. I'm not going to accuse anyone of being spiritually lazy. I'm not here to shame you into like volunteering over in Next Gen or out in the parking lot. My greatest hope today is that you would see that a relationship with God is a whole lot more exhilarating than anything that can happen in that chair. Oh, the places you'll go. Oh, the things you'll see. Oh, the ways that you will taste God if you'll just get out of what's comfortable. And so today we're looking at how to go and do likewise in Luke chapter 10. And I wanna frame this with five excuses, five things we tell ourselves that keep us in the chair. But before I do that, before you do anything that is new in relationship with God, you gotta pray. Jesus says in verse two, before you go, you gotta pray. The mission is so enormous, Jesus says, the adventure seems bigger than you can grasp onto. So it's important to ask God for his help. If you ever feel stuck in a comfort zone, if you're not sure how to get out of the chair, if you're not sure where to start, Jesus says, pray. Verse two, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. If you don't pray, you probably won't go. Or at least you might go out sort of half-cocked in your own power. So have you been praying that God would move you into a full adventure of faith? Let's pray that together really quick. Father, we want to pause after having some fun and just say we are open to you right now to however you want to send us. Give us a passion for the real life you've called us to. In your name, amen. Recliner excuse number one, I'm not sure where to go. Where is Jesus sending me? Where? As a man, it's hard for me to admit that I'm lost and to ask for directions. I can't even ask them from Siri because she's so judgy. Her pretentious elitist accent. And anthropologists tell us that men are genetically disinclined to ask for directions. We come by it honestly because our prehistoric male ancestors who stopped to ask for directions were eaten by saber-toothed tigers. (laughs) There was actually an insurance company that came out with a study 
that found that on average, the average American male will drive an extra 276 miles per year because he doesn't believe his GPS app and he won't ask for directions. <laughs> so ladies, your stubborn man over a lifetime is costing you $3,000 in gasoline. Shocking. But there's no changing him, just like there's no teaching him the fundamental difference between a clothes hamper and the floor. <laughs> so in our passage, Jesus gathers together 72 followers. He's not sending out the 12 disciples. He did that in the previous chapter of Luke. These are people, these 72, who are, have been traveling around with him, doing life with him, listening to him teach. They're common, ordinary, everyday people like you and me. And tradition of the church has that some of these 72, uh, after Jesus ascended, went on to be really important leaders and, uh, and speakers and, and, and people who brought the name of Jesus all over the world. But where is he sending them? Verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So nobody's going to China, nobody's going to Rome, no one's even going to Jerusalem. Essentially, Jesus is sending them out to the immediate vicinity, into their neighborhoods, into the next village over, or into the places that they're familiar with. But the most important phrase here is that Jesus was sending them ahead of the places that he wanted to go. Usually in scripture, God doesn't just go somewhere. What he elects to do instead is he sends a normal person ahead of him to prepare to scout, to introduce, to represent. You know, God sent ahead Joshua and Caleb into the promised land along with 10 others. The Lord asked prophets like Isaiah, whom shall we send, who will go for us? John the Baptist was a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He got people ready for Jesus. Jesus sent ahead a couple of his disciples to prepare the Passover. Do you get the pattern of what's happening? Often before God directly intervenes with his power in a situation or in someone's life, he sends a person like you ahead of him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, we're therefore Christ's ambassadors as, God, as if God were making his appeal through us. So rather than overwhelming people with his presence or making mysterious, hard to detect overtures, God sends you as a tangible representation of his love, as a credible testimony into a person's life. So if you're having trouble getting started from the easy chair, just go where it's familiar for you. Be salt and light in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in the places that you shop, on the sidelines of your kid's soccer game, unless, of course, you scream obscenities at the referee. One of the guys uh, from Gateway many years ago lived at a in Avery Ranch, and he saw that there were a lot of new people moving into his neighborhood who didn't know anyone, particularly people from other countries. And so... Uh, one Halloween, he decided he was just going to invite his neighbors after they were done trick-or-treating over for a cookout for hot dogs in his driveway. And he sent out flyers everywhere in the neighborhood. Unfortunately, he called it Halloweeners. <laughs> God doesn't send you ahead to make puns, all right? And, and, and yet it's been, it's been amazing. And, and that's been passed on in their other families now in Avery Ranch who do it. There's a guy here uh, at Gateway who's a professor at UT, 
And every day he drives down the drag, down Guadalupe, and he sees these homeless people and he thinks, this is my world. This is where I work. And so he figured out a way to help. There's a Methodist church that does a soup kitchen, breakfast, and once a week, 4.30 a.m., he goes there and he makes bacon and eggs and he serves those guys and he hears their stories and he ends up talking to them on campus later and building relationships. Anne Frank once wrote, how wonderful it is that nobody need wait a single minute before starting to improve the world. Consider the fact that God put you where you are for some reason in that apartment or on that street or maybe sitting in that place in the classroom or in that particular cubicle at work. Maybe God has you drive a certain way to HEB or, or maybe tonight you were planning on going to a movie at seven but it got pushed back to nine and God wanted you there so that you would intersect with someone who is in need. Can't you see that God is sending you ahead of him? One life at a time, and you don't have to go to Zambia. You can go to Zilker Park. Life in the spiritual recliner is so boring. How much fun is it to be asked by God on a regular basis to do something in your own little world? Excuse number two, maybe later. Jesus says the adventure starts now. Verse three, don't take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. But we would say, hey, Jesus, you know, let's, let's think about this a little bit. You know, maybe we should get planned. Maybe we should be fully ready before we go out. And usually when we make excuses like that, we're just trying to minimize our risk or stay in control or follow God on our own terms. But Jesus pulls the handle on our recliner, pushes us out, and he says, don't think about this too much. Just start now. Trust me. Do we have any procrastinators here today? If you don't know, I'll give you a little diagnostic test, all right? If you've ever been pulled over because the sticker on your windshield, your registration has expired, if you've ever done your taxes on April 15th, if um, you've ever had so much to do during the day, you just decided to take a nap. <laughs> if you've ever said to yourself at 2 a.m., just one more episode, if uh, you find yourself chronically late to things, like for example, church services, <laughs> if you've ever written a sermon on procrastination on Saturday, okay? Wait, group, group therapy, <laughs> group therapy uh, let's admit, any of you procrastinators out there? Yeah. Any of you think about procrastinating but you never really got around to it? <laughs> All right, some of us have. Right, Jesus knows that spiritual procrastinators never get started. Is there anything 20 years ago or 20 months ago or 20 minutes ago you were so convicted that God told you to do, but you never got started on it? One of the tragic flaws that we procrastinators in our faith uh, face is that we think of it in all or nothing terms. Either I go all the way or I do nothing at all. And one of the great inverted truths of scripture is that feelings sometimes have to follow actions. Our world says the exact opposite. Our world says, do what feels good. And if you're not feeling it, don't do it. I mean, if you can't give 100%, you're probably gonna end up quitting anyway. But scripture says in some important things in life, it's the flip side Jesus is talking in Revelation 2 to a church who once had great spiritual adventures. And he said, you all have lost it. 
You've lost your feeling for me. And what's his prescription to them? He says, go back and take action. He says, do the things you you used to do when you first loved me. And the feelings will return. See, when we uh, do something in faith that we don't necessarily feel, uh, we experience the results of that and it builds on a little momentum and on and on and on. So start today. What's a small step you could take to go before God into your neighborhood or your office or your group of friends, some small little action of discovery or conversation or faith movement. Excuse number three, I don't have anything to offer. The 72 are sent out ahead of Jesus and they're expected for this to be a brief journey. They're supposed to come back and report what's going on. But what is it exactly that Jesus asked them to do? Verses eight and nine. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. All right, this may surprise you, but during his three years of public ministry, Jesus traveled around with his disciples and basically just relied on the hospitality of others. In ancient Mesopotamian culture, all the way up to today, in the Middle East, there is this expectation of service. It's a sacred right of service to guests. And it was viewed, if somebody knocked on your door, uh, they could have been sent by God. And so Jesus is instructing them to go knock on some doors and to go in and have a meal, strike up a conversation, look for some needs. And if there are some needs that they can meet, you know, help them out, heal, encourage. And then if that gives you an opportunity to speak, speak about how much God cares about them specifically and what it would look like for his kingdom to come to their house. So you get all that, Jesus is simply saying, knock, meet a need, and then talk about God if you can. Does that take some kind of spiritual mastery? I mean, do you have to sing like Lauren or Ross? Do you have to preach like John? Do you have to serve people like Mother Teresa? Is this about talent? A while back, I took one of those natural ability tests. I went away to a laboratory, the Johnson O'Connor laboratory for two days and they gave me all these tests like how to put blocks together and musical memory and analytical reasoning and all that. And at the end of the two days, they give you a report on how you stack up against others and what you're naturally good at and what you could do for a living. And so um, my report said that I am in the lower one percentile of all Americans for mechanical ability and finger dexterity which means I should not, on your car, work on the alternator. That's a thing, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but interestingly, what, what the test reported was I've, I'm in the 85th percentile for rhythm. And because she's seen me dance, my wife demanded a retest. <laughs> so they recommended, they re- recommended a career trajectory for me. It was interpretive dancing pastor. So, so here I am. So skill or temperament is not what it's about. God says, you want some real adventure? Just knock. And then meet a need. And then talk about me. Matthew 10 says, this is a large work I've called you into. But don't be overwhelmed by it. It's best to start small. Give a cool cup of water to someone who's thirsty. The smallest act of giving or receiving makes you a true apprentice. You won't lose out on a thing. I like that. Jesus says, don't get overwhelmed by all the needs. It's as easy as giving someone a cool cup of water. 
So if you're riding on the airplane, you know, and the person next to you, they just look, they look really nervous. They're scared to fly, afraid of the danger. I mean, how hard of it is it to just turn to them and encourage them a little and say something like, hey, you're much more likely to get beaten up and dragged off bloody from this plane than to get into a plane crash. You just spread a little sunshine. There was a gateway couple who moved into a new neighborhood and on Christmas Eve, they noticed that an ambulance pulled up at a, a home across the street from them and the paramedics rushed the mother out and they, they didn't know this lady. In fact, they didn't know anyone on the street. But they went door to door on the street and they uh, asked for people to volunteer to do meals and to take care of that family over the holidays. Was that hard to do? No, not really. Do you think it made an impact? Do you think maybe the light of Christ burned a lot stronger in that row of houses? Mother Teresa said, if you can't feed 100 people, just feed one. A cup of cold water doesn't take a lot of imagination. It usually doesn't take much time. And yet, uh, a cup of cold water is just a sincere act of love. A cup of cold water transforms a neighborhood. A cup of cold water ambushes with grace an entire city like Branson or like Austin. And, and, and by the way, Branson, uh, you are such examples for us on how to show a cup of cold water to your neighborhoods. And it's a cup of cold water that moves the world. Is it great music or sarcastic preachers or huge buildings like this? Do you think our neighbors here on McNeil Drive are praising the Lord every Sunday for our traffic blessing that they give a, they're given? No. We change, we move the ball forward when we just offer a cup of cold water to people. Uh, excuse number four, Lord, I'm not getting out of this easy chair because what if they reject me? Fear is what often takes the fun out of following God. All the what ifs. But Jesus says, in verse 16, let me take the pressure off of you. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. It's not about you, Jesus says. It's about me. It's not personal. Now, usually when we hear phrases like that, we, we're skeptical, right? Because if somebody's breaking up with you and says it's not about you, what's, who's it usually about? It's about you. Or when someone says it's not personal, it's business, it's about to get real personal. Uh, I, hate it. I hate it when people tack on that phrase at the end of a sentence, just saying. I mean, that's, that's like saying what I just said shouldn't have been said. Like, would you like a breath mint? It smells like something crawled in your mouth and died, just saying. <laughs> but here it is. Jesus, Jesus says it isn't personal. It's business. It's God's business. And if, you, if you're not being rejected, in some time, at some point because you're out of your comfort zone trying to help people, there's a pretty good chance if you're not being rejected, you're spending too much time in the lazy boy. I'm the CEO of an executive training company. We prepare managers and up and coming leaders for higher levels in their businesses. And all of my coaches are smart business people and they are also Christ followers. Not long ago, I was called into the office of one of my clients, a big tech company here in Austin, and they fired me, or at least they said they're not gonna renew our contract. And, and I was like, why? And the guy said, well, we love the way you've helped us with leadership, but there was a, a young lady, one of our employees, who was going through something real personal, 
and one of your coaches prayed for her out loud in our office. And while I was taking this lashing from this guy on the inside, I was thinking, oh, the scandal. Prayer in a publicly held company. And that cost us tens of thousands of dollars, but as soon as that meeting was over, I went to my coach and I said, praise God for you. That, yeah. I said, I said, so many of us go to work and we see these spiritual needs and we sanitize all the Jesus out of our politically correct responses. And I, I said, uh, God sent you ahead of him into the life of that woman. Praise God for your courage and your sense of adventure. Now go out and make us $30,000 to make up for this. <laughs> Number five, last one. What's the difference that, that it makes really? The 72 return from their brief adventure from the nearby towns and villages and Jesus is waiting for them with a smile on his face. And he's like, so how'd it go? Tell me all about it. And they start telling stories. And they are like kids who had just gone to Disney World for the first time. They're like, Lord, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, we knocked on some doors and they actually let us in and we, we ate with them. And, and there were these needs, God. Uh, we, we met with this this couple who just lost a kid. Or there was the guy who couldn't work anymore because he had an injured back. Or, Lord, there was actually a family who hadn't heard from you and we got to heard about you and we got to tell them for the first time. And it was like the Holy Spirit was speaking through us. And we laid our hands on some people and they were healed. And change came. God... Uh, we weren't sure about this at first. I mean, when you asked us to get out of our comfort zone, uh, you know, we, we didn't think we were ready. But if this is what it's like, count us in. And the stories go on and on into the night, and finally they die down a little bit. And then Jesus makes this remarkable statement. He says in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing's gonna harm you. However, don't rejoice that the, the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus says to them, there was a physical thing happening and there was a spiritual thing happening. In the physical realm, you are going out knocking on doors, meeting people's needs, but spiritually, I saw Satan fall. While you were out there, you pushed back his darkness through your simple acts of love and compassion, you crush the enemy. And this is how we win. This is how the church advan advances. It's not politics. It's not marches on Washington. It's not all this outrage on social media. When you leave your comfort zone and you see a need and meet a need, the power of God flows through you. Sometimes, he says there, sometimes in miraculous ways. But don't get caught up in the miracles. The real miracle is the adventure of faith that you get to live with him. The band's gonna do a song of decision. And it asks you to consider getting out of your easy chair and living a life of service and mercy to people who are right there in your vicinity. Let me close with this. What I long for more than anything in my relationship with God is just that there would be some adventure. That I would wake up every morning with the choice of doing things for me or with the knowledge that God might have some important work for me to do that day. That won't be easy, but it's gonna be a ton of fun. And the memories that matter most to me are when I make a small difference, the risk I took with people, and I had to trust God 
and I encountered Christ a little bit when I served, my favorite poet Wordsworth said, the best portion of a good man's life, his little nameless unremembered acts of kindness and love. So Gateway, here's my challenge to you this week. First of all, I want you to do something this week that gives you a lot of pleasure. You just enjoy it a lot. Go see a movie at Alamo or eat a decadent dessert or have Pepper give you a massage or, or make love to your spouse. Maybe in the lazy boy. Uh, <laughs> do something that's really enjoyable. And then secondly, I want you to go give someone a cup of cold water this week. So open yourself up, see a need and meet it and then step back and think about those two events. Which of them drew you closer most to the Lord? Which made you feel like you were on an adventure? It's ironic that when a a person's primary focus is to play it safe or to indulge themselves, they get bored. But when a person focuses herself or himself on giving their lives away, oh, oh, the places they'll go.